And welcome back to the High Five Podcast with Darren and Duncan. And I'm Darren. I'm Duncan. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great topic for you today. We're going to be talking about large and small companies in high-end audio and some of the pros and cons that come with with uh, buying gear or owning gear from a large company versus a really small company. And uh, I thought we thought it was an interesting topic to top, uh, talk about, so we picked it for today. And um, to start us off here, we usually talk about what's going on with uh, with us in our our systems. And uh, just as a reminder, you can see our systems on our website at www.thehifipodcast.net. So check that out, and you can kind of view... You can view our systems and get an idea of what uh, our systems are like currently, and they're always changing, so make sure to check up on that. But uh, Duncan, you have a lot going on right now. I had, I had a few things going on. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, what's going on with me? Well, um, my system is pretty well dialed in these days to the point where um, I'm feeling really comfortable with my mastering work lately. And I do have a lot of mastering work lately. Um, I've got two albums right now that I'm mastering. And um, yesterday I spent almost all day working on it. I, I think I mentioned that I really like the way my amp sounds about you know five hours after it's been on and, and playing music. And so yesterday I woke up and turned the amp on right away. And I don't think I turned it off until 11 p.m., um, but by the time you, you stopped by yesterday and by the time and I played a couple tracks that I was working on, but by the time I was, I, you, you got there, it was sounding really good. And so, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, it's just going through, you know, I just really enjoy the process of mastering, uh, and, and I, I liken it to a blacksmith pounding on a raw piece of metal where at the beginning there's just so much, so many differences between each of the tracks. There's not much uniformity. There's there's mm. all of these issues, and you just keep attacking small things and making small changes mm. and new versions and stuff, and going through it. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of starts gelling, takes shape. One of the yeah, things I yeah. like to do is to do a whole album in one day because I I'm, I'll be I'll get clued into this like the zone of like, I like that sound. And then I'll, I'll be able to carry that sound over from track to track to track. And so it helps a lot with the uniformity of the whole thing. If I'm doing it all in one day, I found. So yesterday I, I, I just got this, this album to a point where when I was listening to it later, <clears throat> like 10 o'clock at night, taking the dog out, you know, on my, on my, in the truck and all my uh, earbuds and stuff. It's just so appealing. Like some of the some of the tracks just sink into the music, and I, I just know that I'm in a good. I'm almost done with this album. I'm I'm in this good zone where each track starts showing really good things about it, and and uh, and getting really attractive. So, um, yeah, awesome. I mean, and you your system by. is just on fire. I I actually yeah. was over. Sin fuego. I came over. Um, uh, just the other day, and it, it's just sounding so. There's so much inner detail in the mid range and uh, the 
travel is just really extended now. And um, you had great sound about two weeks ago when I came over. Um, but it's just such a large improvement. And I know you've been working hard at, at you know, resolving it further and and uh, doing small system changes step by step. What we, you know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, how, you know, you take a bunch of small little steps and all of a sudden you've made, in the grand scheme of things, you've made one giant, giant step and a huge improvement. Um, I think the three things that I did since you last came was I put a lot of sound absorptive material under the couch um, where nobody can see it. You didn't tell me that. Yeah, I didn't show it to you either. I, I was thinking about it yesterday, and then we started talking about something else. That that actually makes sense now. A bunch yeah, of stuff th- that's down there. a that's a good little trick. There. Nobody can see it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I'm surprised you're spilling that trick. You know, <laughs> I always my, think like my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. Well, I, I, sometimes <laughs> what I think is that Duncan holds some tricks away from me. Oh, you yeah, know? right. And, and there's right. like some secret stuff that he's just not talking about. There's some, some mods that are going on in the system because it, it, you, you always have a way of, of, of getting resolution. Yeah, because that's and, what I love. And, and that's what you love, yeah. you know? And so you're chasing that and you're, you're, at, you're refining and refining and refining. And then from the outside perspective, which is my perspective, going over one day and then two weeks later going over, I see the giant step. For you, it's yeah. 13 changes or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and I For don't me, know how much just better it is. A and B, yeah. and B is like way better than A, and yeah. A was good, but B is really good. And also, I mean, I think it's the best I've ever heard your system. Oh, uh, four things I did. So then the, the second thing was uh, I, I got a little tidier with my cable management, and um, and I've got uh, cable you know, I've got my speaker cables on, on cable risers and kind of routed around. And then I've got, and then I kind of, uh, consolidated the power cables and I've just got a nice, nice distances now between power cables and input cables and speaker cables. Uh, third thing is the Herbie's tube dampers. Uh, I actually, for me, heard a a jump in, in treble response, or at least a, a clean, cleaning of that uh, you know i just i think the resolution was bumped by that but i think the biggest thing that i did was i finally figured out in my new house <clears throat> where and how i can route an ethernet cable from the modem yeah. directly to the DAC. yep so i went from going wi-fi to a to a laptop and then usb to the DAC yep. to straight ethernet in dnla the yep. ps audio DACs, uh you know have this dnla ethernet option it's there's no question it's I, so much it's better than i had a us from what i heard, USB i can cable. hear what what that was going from usb to to the bridge um and the the treble extension and how open the system is is likely you know there's a good um a good majority of that is coming from that. Yeah, that wired, that's what it is. Yeah, and it's it's connection. almost 
it, you know it's treble because you know of treble's like effect for spaciousness and this and the ability to image correctly and the ability to cast a nice soundstage. Treble, the high frequencies are so important for that. It's not like you now listen to my system and every cymbal sounds sibilant or every cymbal there there's some sort of amplitude difference in the in the the that you can wrap your head around. These are frequencies that you can't wrap your head around. They're up there. You, what you wrap your head around is the effect of these frequencies being more linear. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what it is, is. You switch to the bridge from the USB input, and you're just like, whoa, those yeah. images are so much better yeah. composed. And-, and you know what's interesting is that isn't necessarily saying that USB is 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 worse than... The bridge. Um, I enjoyed what's, what's the interesting USB. about what's what, but what's interesting about it is that there's so many ways of doing USB mm. that it, USB's capability is is great. Actually, it's just that uh, between the cable, between different devices of isolating USB's uh, interface with your computer, even the computer itself, and how clean. Um, in the RF domain, mm. the, the computer is, it varies also. So you can, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily saying that DLNA, DLNA is better than USB, but in my opinion, it's just that when you go through something like the, the bridge on the PS Audio DAX, it, it's more consistent results and you just avoid all of the nasties of of a of a USB which is directly coupling it to the computer itself and you're getting a lot of RF and noise um and so yeah it's just that's why I kind of started to avoid USB too I just find it very tweaky and you have to end up um you know throwing a lot of time and and effort into trying to figure out what is going to optimize it but well on, on my work system I run both a I run USB and I run both a AudioQuest jitterbug and a uptone mm. audio regen mm-hmm. uh and you can hear the differences with both yeah the regen affects the bass the uh, uh jitterbug affects the treble it's interesting mm. they're yeah. they're different different uh products and you know, I really like the sound with them both going, and um, and yeah, I didn't have that at home. I I just had a nice USB cable from Straightwire, and mm. uh, and it and it was good, and it was fun and engaging. Yep. And and I was just like in the back of my head, just scratching, like just like, oh man, I really need to run an Ethernet cable to this thing so I can run. Yep. Straight. Um, also, the benefit of that too. Is that you can uh, you can use some of the DSP function of Rune uh, since I'm a Rune user uh, now that I have DNLA actually I can upsample to DSD in Rune which I actually find a really nice sounding presentation in Rune and then send DSD to the to the Direct Stream Junior so that's actually in my system what I find to to sound the best but y- you can experiment with they have a setting called max PCM rate where it'll just throw it up to 352 yeah. any any incoming signal that sounds really good i was doing that uh usb i was trying upsampling everything to 192 i was trying native non over non over sampling um i and i liked the max pcm rate upsampling so 
you know, those guys, those coders at Rune, they're they're so a certain part of Rune is so focused on sound quality, which is just you know. What I was love all it. this? Uh, digital is just perfect. To begin oh yeah, with. bits are bits. <laughs> yeah, it's so not Doesn't true. Matter. You, you have bits to. I, I was telling my actually, I was I was talking to my father the other day about this topic and how you know still Papa a lot Joe. Of, yeah, Papa Joe. Uh, a lot of people think that you know digital is not tweaky. And almost yeah. everybody knows that analog is tweaky. Yeah. Um, and my perspective is that both are tweaky. Both are tweaky. Yeah. It's, That's why it's we're like, here, y'all. It's yeah. everything, everything is tweaky. <laughs> well, it, it, we don't like stuff that you can't tweak out on. Like, if this we're, was we're all tweakers. straightforward and easy, yeah. like there would be no reason for this. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, right, so, your system is awesome. And also, by the way, I told you, and you better not do this. Don't touch your amp. Don't mess with the yeah, amp. Yeah, because the amp is on See, this fire. See, is, this is what's great about having an audio buddy that can come over. First of all, he can he can have this two-week difference and hear the changes in your system uh, in a more dramatic fashion and kind of like really tell you like where you are. And second, he can say, stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Don't mess with it. So, yep. I uh, some of the things I was thinking about further tweaking with the amp was um, you can tell by looking at the board that a couple places where tubes went and resistors smoked up and the guy replaced them with different types of resistors. Yes. And I've yep. been thinking about just taking all those out and, and deciding on the resistor and making it uniform across. Yeah. That, that would be a good There's yeah. um, on my output tube grid, grid stoppers, uh, I, I have PRPs. I, I can still do, I can do TKDs. Mm-hmm. Um, those little changes, nothing big yeah, though. No, yeah, yeah. I'm there in terms of the big stuff. Yep. I've got input capacitors are the Mundorf Silver Gold Oil, which was a gift from you. Thank you. Uh, I should thank you every single day because it's just <laughs> amazing. Um, and then those are unbypassed, and the output capacitors are M, uh, Mundorf MCAP Supremes bypassed with MyFlex KPCU-01 uh you know these these point what did, what did i use 0.043 or something 0.045 or something like that point of mike yeah point point oh four seven. yeah and uh it, which made a huge difference um anyway they're all burned oh, yeah. in now everything's just cranking oh it's just yeah because that's the thing you were thinking about Love changing it. your output tubes and it's kind of at this point I it's was. one of those it's one of those things it's kind of like hmm yeah, but things are really, really good. That's I mean, what I was saying last you week. You know, you could spend the the three hundred dollars plus that it's going to take to 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 get new output tubes, and then just say, eh, I don't know, I kind of like the other ones better. You know, right. so so right now that's working for you, and it's it doesn't seem like maybe in the future when you actually start, you know, needing to actually replace them. But right now, I'd say just like sit on it. I don't know, man. Yeah. I think the next order that I make for output tubes is going to be the Svetlana 6550s just because mm. that's that's what the whole system... Like you were saying last week, mm-hmm. the, I've built in the tube, the yeah. sound of this tube into the amp. So Yeah, so don't uh, change I'll, your I'll, I'll let you do the <laughs> KT88 mod. I think you were planning on doing that. And then I'll see, yeah. see what happens. We'll see. We'll see. Because yeah. you're also going to add the MyFlex capacitors to your output. On on your D one fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about you because okay. yeah, because something, there's a lot. There's something a lot exciting happened this week. Yeah, and there's a lot there a lot going on actually. And uh, one one thing is is that I moved the um, so SC fours are back in the big room, and I, I was just 
really, it's just really interesting. Always changing rooms with the same speaker, a speaker that you're really familiar with. Take it from one room, go to the other room. And it's always so incredible to hear how the room is shaping most of the sound, especially at low, low frequency. It's just a reminder of how important the room is. Yes, and what the placement inside that room. But then even within placement itself, how the room is just dictating the bottom end, the, the size of the room, the dimension of the room, the ceiling, how, how, uh, how much vo- that, that really determines volume because you know a few more feet in ceiling is a massive increase in volume in the room. Isn't it like um, we, we, we notice now at this point in our audio journey, the top end is, is straightforward for us. And it's like, okay, it's, it's a uh, dial in placement, toe in, uh, maybe a slight di- distance difference. Like we've talked about based on the physics of the room, but but like you and I can quick kind of quickly take a pair of speakers and start getting a soundstage going. Yeah. The pr- the tough part is bass, right? Well, yeah. Every yeah. time, uh, you know, it's like when you're talking about something, when I'm has... dealing with at home, it's what you're dealing with at yeah. every every move mm-hmm. to your system. Oh, ba- bass is extraordinarily hard. I mean, because at least our our the speakers that we're at least we own are generally somewhat. Uh, you know, have directivity to them at higher frequencies. So we can predict how that's interacting. We can do, we know kind of like the room treatments on the walls and, and how that affects the high end response. But with bass, you're just, you're left with only a few options to explore with and you have to use, you know, the, those limited, uh, 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 limited areas of of movement to be able to optimize that base so you you only have so many options that that you can uh that you can choose to, and, to and do the movement is what affects it so much you know like the, yeah so you got base you've got all these interactive problems you've got not only the room modes yeah. but then you have the idea that that the construction of your room yeah the, the, the way the 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 yeah the resonance of the floor or the fact that the yeah. floor is a after a couple layers of of wood it's an empty cavity below yeah. or yeah. or say like in your case you get near windows and the window is a single pane of glass which to base is nothing and yeah. it just goes straight through it yep. so you're trying to think like well how do i maximize these these outside walls to reflect base mm-hmm. oh i don't have any outside walls cuz there's so many windows in this exactly room. so yeah, it, so I um it's so, tough, man. So I moved the the Dunlavies back in the big room and then the big thing was that I moved the subs away from me cuz um I I've had my subs near fielded. Previously they were on large, either side of the couch. Very large 18 18 inch subwoofers um in these sealed 4 cubic foot cabinets and I had them essentially near fielded to me only a few feet on either side from my ears. And um, and now they're actually in the corners behind the speaker, and yeah. and I'm just not 
I'm not in love with. Oh, it's terrible. It sucks. Yeah, it's not good. There's no power. Yeah, I, I was playing some some tracks that I thought you know for, yeah. for for coming up with the album of the the week recommendation. I'm like, where is that bass? Yeah, and you know what's crazy is the the actual amplitude on Mini DSP is is like uh, almost six dB higher. You doubled like um, you, you and doubled so the volume. I'm like, I was kinda, gonna ask you like, hey man, I think you actually need to turn these up a little. So bit. I'm I'm You've nervous of playing the system loud at all because i know that that bass might be showing up somewhere and right. it could be like i'm i'm worried about like in the next it's door going into your neighbor's kitchen yeah exactly 100 like so you're dumping that energy it's going somewhere and it's, so i'm i'm with the power of these subwoofers i'm moving. worried about so where that's are, actually showing up these are 18 inch subs where like when they are near field you you can't really see them moving that much i mean they are putting out great energy with mm-hmm. low excursion actually yeah. that's what makes them very low distortion yes, very linear. exactly yep but now you've got them back in the corners i'm watching a move and i'm not hearing it so it's going it's somewhere. going somewhere <laughs> um anyway so uh, there was that change and now i know hey i have my answers i don't have again with bass we don't have that many options we're we're limited um to the placement of subwoofers um due to uh the practicality of having to live in our houses as well. Um, so you can't have subwoofers in the middle of a pathway. Yeah. Just, um, out. you know, I can't put them on my sidewalls because I need my equipment racks on the sidewalls. So, so I'm going to be putting them back near field that I really liked where yeah. that was. They're going back there. So that was just an interesting, another eye opener, just, uh, every time I move, um, the systems around how much I, I, I learn about, um, the speaker and the room and the interactions and, all the different variabilities you can you can get in this hobby. Um, yeah. Another another mm-hmm. thing was that I um, so you know in audio when you get a lot of uh, experience with different equipment and you go through and you cycle through a bunch of different stuff, there's always the um, the, the, one that the got largest, away. yeah, the one that got away, and the, the biggest regrets in in um, in your biggest regret in selling uh, that gear. So, um, you know, I always kind of like regretted selling Merlin VSMs, the speaker, and I think I've talked about that a few times on the podcast. Yeah, um, I, I think that with the right equipment, they're amazing. And then the other large. Um, uh, regret was selling my VT, my audio audio research VT one hundred Mark III, um, and it just is an amplifier that is close to my heart. Um, and so I always told you that if you ever came across a Mark III, that you that you need to notify me ASAP, and that you have a buyer at TMR. So I'm Duncan. And I'm a testing technician at at TMR, the, the music room, um, which is the world's largest high-end audio reseller of high-end audio gear. And, um, you know, I've got a couple of audio friends that, um, that have me looking out for stuff for them. Um, I guess because I talk to you so much about audio stuff, it's, it's, it's closer to my, my consciousness and I can remember it all the time. But basically for the last few months, every time I see, in audio research box, I go, I, I go look at the label. I go look at the model and, and, uh, a lot of what we get in the last, a lot of what we've gotten in the last couple months, audio research wise for the music room has been preamps. 
uh, LS17s, LS26s, SP, SP6s, SP9s, that kind of thing, um, yeah, which are all great products. But I'm always looking out for that that VT100. I think I found a VT100 a few a month or two ago that was a Mark One, and I I showed it to you. But the other day I come and I see the Telltale white box in the queue here at t- the music room. Yep. And uh, and I roll it over and. What was the first thing I texted you? Uh, I think you said, oh, no. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh is what you said. Yeah, I knew it was something along those lines. Because I knew where this was going to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was an um, audio research VT100 Mark III that came in black with the handles on the front. And in great condition. Fully yeah. mint. Yeah. This guy had just taken such good care of it, used it very sparingly, uh-huh. had the original original uh, uh, 6H30P tubes, I think, and, and I think the original... Output tubes. I mean, it's just like, you know, a time machine relic. Like it's the traces are are so shiny, you could see yourself mm-hmm. in them. It, it and so I I I I skipped the queue and grabbed this thing, and I start texting you and sending you pictures, and I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, I, and I, within the hour, I had paid for it. But yeah, um, <laughs> you know, because I yeah. I'm at you know, and some people might be listening to this and say, well, like, why would you? you know why would you be interested in doing that i mean i have a lot of i have a lot of amplifiers you know you're um, an amplifier designer yeah and and there are stuff that just sticks out to me it's like being uh uh you know into cars and you have a garage of cars like well why do you want something why why would you want to buy you know a um you know some car that is not nearly as good as your best car in your garage oh because it has some characteristic that you just really love and 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 it's close to your heart you know and you already have an audio research it, tube amp in your garage yeah exactly i have the a d115 that we've modded out and and then the um and the vt100 was one that i just there are some things about that amplifier that i think is more so along the lines of the modern sound um, of audio research, like the modern era. Yeah. And that's kind of what I, I do believe that the Mark III was the beginning of, of that new sound. And I, I, just, uh, I just love kind of the way it's kind of in the middle between solid state and tubes in yeah, the sense you that you JFETs, get the, right? you, uh, the input uses JFETs on, on the three, yeah. Um, and everything before that was 6922 input. Um, but the you know it's kind of really has this middle ground between tube sound and solid state sound yeah. in the sense of of getting some of the solid state speed and dynamics with the layering and error of tubes and yeah it's just something I have to have in my garage um, and uh, and I, I'm gonna own the amp for a long time yeah, it's so cool yeah I, I so I delivered this this amp over to you at, at, yep. at lunchtime. I was like, I'm bringing this right over right now. Yeah. But you know, these amps That's are so not, cool. um, this is not for the, the faint of heart of, um, you know, people who are, uh, you know, maybe not the most technical, um, to retube an amp like this. It, right? Yeah. From, if you send it to audio research or something like that, you're going to be paying a lot of money to to get it biased and all set up and restored, and so 
you know, it's uh, it is an advantage to learn how to change your own tubes and, and bias stuff because with that a tube one, amp, you could have a failure any time. Yeah, mean, that, for sure. An output tube can go on you. You can take even new output too. tubes can go on you. You but, know that that amp is so much easier to bias. I checked the bias when I was testing it, of course, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's so much easier to bias than our D115s. I I feel like that practice of every time doing the you know the output tube bias but also the input tube dc balance and it's like in four different spots uh trained us to like you know regular bias stuff is no no problem it's got these resistors way up near the top it's got all the yeah. it's it groups two tubes together for bias you know which means that they need to be matched better but um anyway but you I, have to have a you have to have a good multimeter well, and, true. and you have to understand that there are lethal voltages in the area Mm -hmm. still so you know it's like it's not for someone who has never worked on electronics sticking your hand in a tube amplifier is not a good idea correct so it's just it's just one of those things it's like owning what it would be like it'd be owning like an an old lamborghini i mean like the thing's gonna break down all the time yeah you know or it's not gonna be as reliable as even a new lamborghini but like if you want that thing in your garage and you know how to repair that yourself, it's going to be a lot easier to have that old Lamborghini, you know? So, yeah, so man. it's kind of like, that's the way I see it. I mean, I just have to have variety and I have two systems. You have, you're, you're talking, I think about a fourth system now. Um, and, and I am, you know, we're, you know, I love variety and, and I, I, um, you're never going to have one system that scratches every area and I, I can't possibly have one, a one amplifier that's going to do it all, you know? Totally understand. I, I love to, I love to have, a, a, um, many different amplifiers, but I have to, I have to design amplifiers. And so having the, um, you know, the PS audio line and having some of my favorites, um, is is a great it's a great reference to have around to remind me of of that some of the characteristics that made that amplifier stand out to me yeah uh one of the reigning characteristics of all audio research gear that i've ever heard is is the separate channel separation the floating imagery the holographic nature of a soundstage and the kind of like neutral kind of approach to it. Um, I agree that our D115s represent a little bit of the older audio research sound. Yeah, it's 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 not it, it, to me because you have to remember we we modded ours, so well, ours are not, not stock. stock so stock wise, it's way more Conrad Johnson to me personally. Yeah, yeah, the yeah way it's that, way yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's a Conrad Johnson boldness, the old the and yeah. and, and a little bit rolled off on the extremes right but the mid-range is really the where yeah. the where the but the then juice you is. we've just been throwing ridiculous stuff inside we've been it. throwing so you can't say that that's what the way it. that the d115 yeah, yeah. was yeah. <laughs> that's but very uh, true anyways so i think we have a, a question this week yeah so our question this week um, and by the way <clears throat> uh send all if you like to be part of the podcast and we'd love you to be part of the podcast, uh, we really love questions because they get us talking about interesting topics. They get us thinking about stuff that wouldn't have occurred to us. And we get to answer somebody's burning audiophile question and, and, and then share it with people where other people might be uh, dealing with the same stuff. But uh, send those questions. We'll take questions, tips, uh, and we'll even take album recommendations uh, at the email address is hi-fi at outlook.com. If you can't remember that very difficult to remember email address, you can always go to our website, uh, the hi-fi podcast.net, go to our contact page and it's right there. But 
Um, this question comes from a, a great listener who actually sent us uh, several encouraging emails of just kind of, uh, you know, way to go kind of uh, messages uh, in the past, a guy named Vern Vochaska. And Vern, we really appreciate you listening and, and being a supporter of us. Um, but Vern did come through with a question back in January. And uh, he he thought that we could bring this up with Chris, but uh, our friend Chris Brunhaver is a speaker designer um, is who's worked for a number of brands. If you haven't heard the episode where we interview Chris, uh, you definitely go back and listen to that one. That one's uh, just crazy. It's it's the one that's all about speakers. But um, we thought we'd take this on today because actually this is a topic that that we both really enjoy. I have a I have a unique perspective in that I've um, touched and listened to uh, hundreds of different brands. Um, you know, just so many different time periods in the audio file uh, hobby history um you know vintage to modern i've i've heard it all i've touched it all i've tested it all and messed with it and so i have a lot of uh, perspective on this uh small company versus large company topic and then you offer a really unique perspective um you know working for manufacturer darren is the senior analog design engineer for ps audio and PS Audio is one of the longest running brands. Actually, I think um, was it Audio Research that's been in business since the seventies, like nineteen seventy, and PS Audio has been in business since nineteen seventy four. So mm-hmm. I mean that is just remarkable in this in this field of companies that kind of come and go quickly. Yep, we'll even get into that. But let me read uh, Vern's email, uh, and then we'll we'll get started on today's topic. Darren and Duncan, I just finished up listening to the Party Zone episode. Another great listen. Maybe the next time you have Chris captive, you can all discuss the large number of smaller but very high-quality speaker manufacturers there are. Tecton Design, Spatial Audio, Deckware, Zoo Audio, Ohm, GR Research, and similar come to mind, and there are many more that I have no experience with. They are all committed to the high-quality reproduction of music, all have different ways of going about the quest, and all of them do a great job. Many sell direct and have managed to do so for a long time. All of the smaller speaker manufacturers are also very easy to contact and discuss options with. It is a great testament to the individual thinking of how music should be reproduced, and the collective result is amazing. Keep up the great work. Vern Vochaska from South Haven, Michigan. Thanks, Vern. This is going to get us going on a great, great topic. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about this again when Chris is going to be. We're going to have Chris back soon enough. Oh yeah, um, but yep. But uh, I wanted to take this on today just because I I love. I don't know, man. The further you get into this hobby, and you see a lot of the same design choices kind of spread around the mainstream brands and the best, the well known ones. A lot of feature sets that that they look at their products in development say we need to offer this because this other company offers this and we need to kind of keep up with the joneses here and then you get to something small brand that throws all that out of the window and says we've got an idea of how to go about this in in a very good sounding way we're going to 
do whatever we can to get there. And from my perspective of seeing it all and going looking at the internals of every product and and you just you can recognize when it's when it's like a small company and it's just a couple guys that are coming up with solutions that that these bigger companies wouldn't have done. And you listen to the thing and maybe it's a tweaky Lamborghini like you were mentioning. Maybe it's maybe they've made it so it's relatively bulletproof to get the results that they try to get. But I've heard some incredible results from small company products. Yeah. And we're not going to just talk about speakers. I appreciate Vern. You want you want to talk about speakers, and we will. But we'll apply we'll it to, to to electronics and but this and applies to everything. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, I just, I, I get such a kick out of that, and there's such a difference when you're looking at a small company's product versus yeah. a large company. Yeah, there, there is. Now, I Absolutely. would say. PS Audio is kind of like in the, in the middle. Let's let's define what this is a small company, yep, what's a large exactly. company. Exactly. Yeah, so so uh in the grand scheme of things as far as uh, looking at uh you know all industries, every sp- company in high-end audio is a small is company. Is a small company. <laughs> every single So one. we realize that. I yeah. know there are people yeah, are listening right relative. now that that yeah. work for a, you know, a company that employs, you know, tens of thousands of people and yeah, yeah. Like audio is a small, uh, a small a subset, yeah. and um, you know, generally, even the largest uh, 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 companies that would be um, defined as high end audio are, are still small. But, but what we're talking about is the difference between you know five employees versus fifty employees versus two hundred employees, and and all of those, all of those companies exist in in the high end audio space. Um, an example of of uh, of that spread would probably be like you know like you mentioned Deckware. It's a small company, you know. Um, uh, certainly growing as far as the awareness of it, but you have I think you know like fifty fifty employees, which is fifty is good. Um, yeah. You know, I think PS Audio uh, fifty fifty five. Uh, I might be off by a little bit there, but that's generally where we're at. And then, and then, you know, I think Wilson is kind of in that ballpark too. Um, and then you, and then you make a jump into Audio Quest, Bowers and Wilkins, uh, Land, which is um, I don't actually know how many employees, but you know, they're talking uh, hundreds of employees at and that point. And you're talking um, about Sony and Marantz and Dunn and stuff yep. like that, you know, and um, the Sound United Group is quite large. Some right, of the companies, right. in that, yeah. <clears throat> so um uh you know what yeah. about marketing budget you know because yeah. there's there's also large in our minds versus large actually employee wise yeah you you have uh i mean it, i think it scales a lot of times with with the size of the company how much money they have to throw at at marketing um you know a, a company like we're using our examples here a company like deckware just it doesn't make sense for them to throw a ton of money at marketing. No, it, it doesn't. Not when, and you start thinking, well, you know, like if everyone took Deckware's marketing model, which is that the products are so good that what you do is you foster the word of mouth by creating a community of, you know, a forum where people are used to talking about your gear and then they freely talk about it with everywhere and it spreads word of mouth, you know, kind of under the radar of of some of the mainstream press and that kind of thing. Um, 
until somebody from mainstream press really starts falling in love. Like Steve Guttenberg has been become a huge Deckware fan, talking about it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yep. And that's driving so much business that direction that there's now a big wait list for, for some of their amps. Yeah, and so I think that sums up our definition of you know, big small, versus small. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but, but you just brought up an interesting point as far as one of the, um, like a small company con is wait time. Um, like, you know, they might get overloaded with, you know, some positive reviews that just came through on an amplifier. If you want that amplifier, there's a chance that you may have to wait. I mean, we're talking, we're getting to the root of the downside of, of, speedy expansion of mm-hmm. any any business in any market <clears throat> you know expand too fast and you're doomed you know expand the wrong way and you're doomed like like what steve's decided to do is not expand not expand and yeah. and rely on the fact that his products are truly remarkable and so then you know people need to to calm themselves and have patience and and wait for this and yeah Get in line. uh, It it doesn't just apply to high-end audio. It applies to all other businesses. I know we we usually, we uh, we talk about the wine industry a lot. We talk about definitely the car industry a lot. And and I know the watch industry is as well. All these luxury industries can be, um, there there are like parallels to be made between high-end audio and that because it's kind of operating in the same space. And it's the same thing. I would have different expectations um, if I was in the market for a, a really high-end car, I would have different expectations on delivery time of that product based yeah. on what company I went with. Right. Like right. if I'm buying uh, a Porsche, I'm not going to wait very long for it. No, It's like, I understand that they're, they're, it, they should be able to deliver me a product soon. If I'm buying a, um, if I'm buying like a Bugatti, I know that it's they're they don't have a Bugatti for me waiting. Right, they're building it as a, after I order it. it, and it might be six months, and everybody's okay with that. But nobody's gonna wait, you know, six months for for a nine eleven turbo. It is it's, nice if the Bugatti factory gives you constant updates saying, okay, it's it's entering paint now. It's it's mm-hmm. doing this kind. Of, there's ways to do it that 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 soften the blow of that. But I think that it's just something that you accept and it's almost like this, you have this feeling of that something's being made for you in a very special way and that you're, you know, that you're being catered to of, of getting a product that just isn't sitting around in the masses. Yeah. That, that it's being, it's so rare that it's being, that one is being built directly for your order. And it's just the reality of of some business structures. And I think you see that in high-end audio, like, especially with the really small companies, you, you may have to wait for the product that you order. Well, I think it's, I think your perspective is interesting on this as it resu- relates to amplifiers and specifically to the, to the whole deckware setup. Cause I, I remember you mentioning, um, and, and we, we've thought about, you know, when you, when you look at the, the wait time for his amps and you think about the demand, you start thinking about how can you alleviate that? Well, 
Steve, instead of going point to point, you could use a, an already populated PC board like a lot of other manufacturers do. But then you see what Steve writes about, and he says, you know, it's very important to go point to point. My One of his philosophies, you know, is his writing philosophies. When you look at all his amps and you read all the words that he writes, you know, he's big. Look at his preamp. He, he has the tubes situated in such a way that all of their pins are very close together so that he can use just part leads like resistor leads and stuff Mm -hmm. to do this circuit with no extra wire yeah you know he uses i think i think he uses silver solder but it's all just like it's it's like maximized around this he's focusing a concept one concept yeah yeah his philosophy that's that's he's not going to back off of Mm -hmm. um yes he could crank out a bunch of pc boards and slap them into chassis and do some quick soldering and, and and drastically improve his his output you know uh you know his output of these amps but but that's not what you're paying for that's not what you're getting in line for that's not what the word of mouth is with that because of yeah 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 yeah. so so it's you know the smaller company allows one guy to make that decision Mm -hmm. you get a large company where you have the 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 uh responsibility of decision making spread across several people or spread across whole committees and whole you know and then you bring shareholders into the mix if it's publicly traded yeah. and and all this decision making just gets really diffuse i don't think the shareholders would like the point to point idea i don't think shareholders would like an audiophile company <laughs> <laughs> right well, I don't know. What's, I mean, it depends. The, I mean, you know, what's the history of audiophile companies over over uh, time? Most of them fail, right? Uh, no, no. I mean, I I think there's uh, there's a lot of money to be made. I mean, companies companies can grow to be a large company that that profits um uh, that 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 makes a healthy profit, but but it's that it's that you know you need to be efficient if you're going to be a high. Uh, yeah. a, a large volume company. If you're going you to be able to d- respond point to, point. to demand at all. <laughs> like point yeah. to point doesn't make sense in the masses. So yeah. that's, I guess what I'm saying is that there are certain methods and, and these like, you know, more tweaky ways of making a product is is more, is, is specifically set up for a small company, yeah. small volume. Yeah. If, yeah. You're, if you're trying to scale that, it's not a good idea. Like it's going to cost you problems the concepts and the the um the philosophies that are built into the design are focused and and they're very uh well defined yeah. and they're not blurred where you have you know 20 cooks in the kitchen that right. stretch it in different ways right. uh, directions you know oh well I want to do this well I want to do this oh let's compromise oh now you have a compromise and so you know, it's it's uh, having a small company building a, a specific product. What you get, I think, is a is a clear, you know, really uh, well defined design that accomplishes what it was meant to accomplish. Yeah, which is which is not which means that it might have some strengths that are very strong, and then some weak weaknesses there. But it's what it is is very clear. It's not. It's not a compromised design where there's where it's been stretched in different directions. Now you're an engineer, mm-hmm. and you've been you've worked for several of the larger companies in in audio in the audiophile hub. Yep. Have you ever been in a design kind of meeting where 
there are people in that meeting that aren't engineers and aren't designers that are also like oh, abs- adding to the, the to the conversation. Oh, absolutely. You have you have you have people it, it all around. Yeah, all the time. But right? um, I mean, you know, I mean, and sometimes I mean, there in a lot of cases, the the feedback is very is very constructive because what you what you find is is that because uh, here we're, we're sitting down right now to talk about pros and cons. So yeah, we talked a cons. lot about some, some pros there of a small company. One of the cons is that a lot of high-end audio companies that are really small are, are um, started by an engineer. And, and uh, sometimes engineers don't exactly know what the, the, the customer wants. Yeah. 100%. And that that's yeah, one of the sure. problems, you know. So yeah. I we don't want to make any generalizations um on on this whole topic by the way. Like I'm not pointing out a specific no. company. I'm not we're not saying that a small company is better than a it's large company. Than a larger company. We're just but talking, we're just about, talking it. about some of the some of the, the the um yeah, environmental factors inside that company that sometimes dictate the type of products that you can make. I yeah. mean, for instance, we just talked about you know, Deckware, his preamp there is not something that I think you can scale to 10,000 units a year. I don't think that that's right. something that you really could do. Um, but so, so you know, sometimes the these small companies are started by an engineer and the structure of the company is, is flawed. Um, uh, uh, one that I'm willing to kind of point out just because it doesn't exist anymore is, is Dunlavy. Um, the structure, we, you know, over the years, you and I have learned about Dunlavy yep. and, and, how, it was, and st- how it was structured yep. and um, what an incredible product um, designed by a uh, single engineer who had a really clear and focused design um, strategy. Correct. Yeah, yeah. He had. He believed sealed cabinets, time alignment, right. phase coherency, phase coherence. um, big boxes, um, at the expense of of uh, extension. Like even his, even the SC three, yes. very limited base extension, big well, box still. Uh, what everyone says about it is a terrible speaker and it has no base. And to all of you who think the SC three is a terrible speaker, you. You're probably right. You should probably not not buy it and and get them on the used. Should market. they should they send them to you? you? Should probably send them to me if um, you find any. <laughs> I'd love to have a couple other pairs. I'll take SC three. That's too. one of the best speakers I've ever heard in my life. Um, and and looking at all the, re- the a lot of the reviews online, it's, this thing has no base. It's not supposed to have base anyway. But but you know the SC three, an example. If you didn't quite understand. Um, what I was saying when I mentioned how you get a really focused product that has the the strengths are amplified sometimes and the weaknesses are amplified as well mm. with that because a large company mm. with a big design team is never going to say that the right move is this big speaker that doesn't produce bass. Oh, they're going to have enough people. Yeah, you're going to have enough people that, that just, just say, you know what, just port it. that thing yeah. and actually get yeah. bass out of it, right? Yeah, because we cannot put out a product like this. Sorry. Yeah, so that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, what yeah, I meant when I said point. that. So, so Dunlavy, uh, I, I feel comfortable talking about Dunlavy because it doesn't exist anymore. It'll never yeah. exist again. And and it's just a, an example of the 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 you know how you get that really dialed product that 
it's what it has to say is really clear and loud. Yeah. Like we believe this and this and this at the expense of this and this and this. Well, and look at his competitor at the time for that same, those same philosophical things, Richard Vandersteen and John Dunlavey at the same time on different mm -hmm. sides of the audio file world, were doing the same thing, time alignment, phase coherency. But, you know, Vandersteen started taking the bass out of his cabinets and producing powered bass cabinets, and, and he's not doing the giant MTM array, but you do it a little different, and you, and you, and you stick at it, and actually you can, you can build up, you know. Anyway, it's, it's, I just love those, those two and the way that they were kind of going about the same thing at the same time. Right. <clears throat> um, um, and, then, and then you get to, well, what's the, what's the problem with, with, with Dunlavey? What was the problem with it? Well, one of the, it's one of the reasons why it's, it's just not around anymore is that uh, the products were not priced correctly. Um, they, were, they were underpriced. Way too low. For, for, for what they were. Yep. Um, and, and also, every speaker was individually tweaked in an anechoic chamber before leaving. And the pair, the yeah. pair was matched. Each of the drivers were matched, yeah. and then the ultimately the the whole system was checked in an. Anechoic. It's a small company uh, philosophy that can possibly be in a small company. If you're selling tens of thousands of those speakers, you Can't could never spend hours in an anechoic chamber changing resistors in the crossover to make the speaker I exactly flat. And yeah, that's what they were doing. These decisions came from from the capabilities of its chief designer, John Dunlap. He said, "We can do this, so we're going to." The, you know, yeah. these are the rules yeah. of how he makes speakers. <clears throat> Without him, somebody else is like, "We can do this, but I don't know how to do that." And I think we're going to skip this part. I think we're going to skip. It's it's one of these companies that that can't survive without its main guy. Yeah, because he brings so much to the table when it's when he's there. Well, I think it's also the thing of of that uh, you know he. The, the, I don't think that necessarily it was um, making a ton of money. Should have made with. more money. Those things, um, the the, you know, yeah, man. The 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 our experiences with these Dunlavies after having lots of experience elsewhere in the audio hobbies has been so educational to us it has been and then you know also knowing a little bit about the the death of the company and and yeah it, it started i think i mean of course the first nail in the coffin was was when when john actually passed away but then you know it actually someone bought it and tried to take it somewhere and it just ended up not being um profitable so it, it's yeah. it's it's a uh you know it's one of the examples where Small businesses in audio are generally they're they're started by an engineer, and that engineer doesn't necessarily know um, how to run a company. Oh, yeah, that's and true. so and so that's one yeah. of the problems. It's it's like these these philosophies. Like if I were to start a a company that is designing loudspeakers, I would never do this. Every pair being tweaked uh, before they go out of the out of the the back. I, I just—it's just not something that is practical. Like I, well, I you can't. If you felt like you, can't you do should, that. what you would do is then devote yourself to minimizing down to the tiniest bit the amount of time it takes to do each one of those things. Like one of the things I've noticed about Steve at, at Deckware, and again I talk about Steve a lot, only because 
and I haven't met the guy. I haven't talked. I haven't even talked to him on the phone. It's just he, 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 as part of his whole world, he, he's got this, uh, output of, of communication. So he's always writing papers. He's always, uh, featuring in his forums, talking about stuff and, and, and constantly has this pulpit of education on the forums where he's like, Hey, this is what I'm into. This is what I'm thinking about. What do you guys think? So, you get this really clear picture of of how he conducts his business, and that doesn't exist in a lot of places in audio. There are so many engineers who are not great communicators, you know. And so Steve is a good communicator. So what he what he talks about when you when you start following a thread where he's like, "Hey, I got a new product," you start following that thread. One of the first things that he's focused on is reducing the amount of time it takes to make that product. Because over 30, 40 years in the business, he's learned that's what I've got to do to, to, to run a business. To survive? To survive. Yeah. So that's and, kind of my point yeah. with Dunlavi was that it was, it was kind of like, you know, individually tuning every pair. It's like that's, well, where's the problem to begin with? And one of the things is that I think he was buying the speakers, um, the, the drivers were off the shelf, um, because yep. uh, you know, all the models of the drivers are even, they're still made a lot of the, 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 the I think the mid range was the only one he, he had tweaked a little bit, mm. um, where the tweeter was, was essentially is still sold today. Um, uh, where I know that when, when I was at Bowers, um, they, they concentrated so much on, on understanding how to uh, match the drivers to begin with. And so that each pair would be really close, um, mm. to begin with. And then at Harbeth, I know that they work with wherever they're sourcing their drivers from, um, which, uh, you know, CS is definitely doing tweeters and stuff like that. Um, they're getting, uh, close matched pairs from CS that's already been going through the QC there. You pay for that. Outsource that you know, stuff. And you outsource yeah. it. Yeah. And so there are different solutions. And that's where in a small company, you may get only one perspective where that person's being stubborn on one and pushing one right. idea. Right. When in a bigger company, you would have five ideas countering that one idea and then maybe find maybe a better a better better middle ground that would um resolve some of the issues yeah, so yeah. so i think that um you know the the downside one of the downsides of a small company is is possibly that one idea that's not the best idea being um being basically the rules part of the rules <laughs> man i got such a great example of a of that in a small company just recently at uh the music room we got a pair of morrison audio model 29 speakers in and um what can i say about this company you go to the website and and you go to the model 29 page and you don't see a picture of the speaker you see an illustration that is just like um really rudimentary and and then you see this long-winded story form explanation of the speaker but you can't you can't just use your eyes to find the imper the the pertinent stuff what's the driver what's the sensitivity where's that where are the specs it tells this story about how he tried other drivers he rejected them he's trying these tweeters he decided to make his own tweeter have his own uh you know custom driver 
um, so that it, it can cross over lower. He decides to not include crossover components inside the speaker. And then by the end of it, you, what, what, what you're left with reading the description of the Model 29 is that while this guy is serious about his speaker design, I still actually know very little about this speaker. Um, anyway, we saw a pair of Model 29s, and I mentioned the website because part of what I do at the music room is try to you know, test, verify the condition, but also identify and understand this product so that we can list it in a way where we convey all the correct information, all the information that people are going to want. And so one of the, one of the most important things with the speaker is that he, he, he felt that active crossovering a crossing over of drivers is better than passive crossovers he does talk about you can supply your own passive crossovers for these drivers but it's much more simple to supply your own active crossovers for these for these speakers and so i'm looking at a pair of speakers and uh, and i'm thinking wow these have to be actively crossed over reminds me of linkwitz and um the Linkwitz Orion, I don't know if you've gone down that rabbit hole, but Siegfried Linkwitz's different speaker projects were always really interesting. Uh, he used great math and great, great physics, uh, you know, science to, to come up with, with designs for, like we talked about when Chris was visiting us, his, his open baffle speakers, his omni-radiating speakers, his dipole-based subwoofers. But when it came to... Siegfried talking about amplification. His position was that amplification is amplification. It doesn't matter. Get yourself a seven channel uh, card amp, you know, some kind of module amp so that you can have seven of the same channels or eight or six or whatever. And, and, you know, you power these things. So I think they were, they were like triamped or quad amped each, each of these Orions. So you need three amp circuits for each speaker at least. Um, it's in hi-fi. It's not what we're going for. I well, so this, this Morrison guy was like, uh, get yourself an active crossover. And, yeah. and, and if you've messed with crossovers, you, you know that passive crossovers, the, 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 the component choice is so important to what mm-hmm. it sounds like. And you could only imagine with active crossovers that, that that's, the same case you know what kind of ic's are these going what, what is going on now, here? now you have to be a speaker designer and you know, a crossover designer yeah you know, an active <laughs> an active crossover designer so. yeah it's 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 um it's a great point it's it's like this this product that that is very um specific in that you need to apply a lot of uh, research behind even owning the product. So now, you let, need to let me make tell all you the these payoff. decisions on it. Yeah. Now, now the payoff, mm-hmm. right? The pro for this was this is a very unique speaker. I hope you're googling this Model 29 Morrison Audio. It's it's a it's a tall. It's not a cylinder. It's a square cylinder. Whatever. It's a it's a taller than it is wide and deep uh, uh, base unit, and then it's got this sphere on top of it. And inside the sphere on the top lives a tweeter, but the sphere acts as this waveguide and dispersion mechanism for the the woofer that is pointing upward. And then the tweeter points upward and has its own little sphere that goes above the tweeter that then disperses it in 3D radiation. It's got two speak-on connectors on the back, not five-way binding posts, which would have been so much easier for me uh, than sourcing the speak-on cables, which are two-pole, which which have different keys than four-pole. By the way, that's a different discussion. Yeah. Again, anyway. a very a very uh, defined direction and philosophy, yeah. right? Yeah. 
here's here's where we're yeah. going and so i i, I go, jump through all these hoops and connect this thing correctly and i'll be damned i mean it's really good and uh and it's it's got mm-hmm. the omni thing going around yeah. around where the room interaction is so much different it's you can you can gloss over and say it's it's less than a directional speaker in terms of like sensitivity to room placement but that's that's not even saying what the whole thing is. It's it just interacts differently with a room than yeah. directional speakers. Yep. It has its own, for, you know, quirks and stuff that you need to figure out. But I love a good omni radiation of a speaker. You know, mm-hmm. so anyway, but it's, just a, it's you know, it's like you know, you're gonna have to re- do so much research. You're gonna have to know exactly what you're doing to own that speaker. You need to and know what you're freaking doing. Yeah, even down to connecting it of of using the speak on connectors and all that. You know, it was like because um, we've been making car uh, comparisons, and it's like the for for people who aren't even into cars, look up the um, look up the the Lamborghini Countach, and and there's some <laughs> videos on YouTube that go through um, just like the quirks and stuff of that car, and it is like the most ridiculous car i mean it, what kind it's of like, quirks like you can't see out of the back of it because yeah it so they have to do that you have to open up the the door and and have like half <laughs> of your, your body outside yeah yeah, yeah in yeah. order to back it up yeah and there's all these other really weird things about it where it was just like man you know if there were more people sitting down at the design table they'd be like are you yeah. nuts like <laughs> said, no this we does can't not do make any sense yeah. like to do this but they did it yeah. it's just like the most ridiculous car and and I today um, as Lamborghini has, you know, changed ownership and, and has grown as a company, you know, their cars are, you know, still not as practical as buying, you know, a, a, um, a more mass production car, but it's, it's very far from a Countach in, yeah. in just, yeah. in just the absolute absurdity that the car was. The impossible car. You know, it's kind of like that in audio, like when you get to really small situations it it is a little practicality wise like can be ridiculous but the outcome can be really cool well this is a a little bit of a reason why you have two audio research amps in in your system and and there's a, a solid reason in your mind for owning these is because their differences in the uniqueness of each one is 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 more than any outsider coming in and saying you got another tube amp from the same company. And it's just like, well, I mean, at, at the level at which I'm looking at it, actually, it's quite a different product from the other thing. And it's in, in the, the fact that I get to, I being you, I'm jealous because I don't have a, a second audio research amp, but it's that, that sounds a little different, but that you get this different color palette, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, uh, you get to see through a different perspective. It's, it's what this whole audiophile hobby is about. Yeah, and uh, another reason why I own I own like any audio research amplifier, for instance, or any other gear made by another manufacturer other than PS Audio is that it's like being a chef at a restaurant that you own or something. And, or you're the main, let's say you're in the main chef or something like that. And you only eat at that restaurant. Oh, you know, that, this that is, is a great that is analogy. Dangerous. No, no chefs do that. You, you, if you, if you you're a chef not do to that. the point where you, yeah. you, you have your own restaurant, 
you are actually like getting to know all the chefs in the whole area and going to each of their places, bringing mm-hmm. a couple things with you and sitting down and getting there. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been at a really nice restaurant where like, well, I can't tell you it's been, I say this exact thing happened. I can think of three, three times I was where say it's at least a year <laughs> where, where you're sitting in a restaurant you, you're one you're enjoying this this really excellent multi-course meal and then in into the door walks a chef from another restaurant yeah and he's got in his arm a, a platter with a few things right and he comes up and the and the and the service or the the back of house folks in that restaurant light up because they're like, hey, it's this guy from down the street. Mm-hmm. He's got stuff to try. Let's make him special stuff to try. And then he's gonna sit there and you're gonna trade special things and you're just gonna experience it. It's huge in the in the chef in the yeah. in the culinary industry it's to to like not have some sort of allegiance to one method understanding you can't because then you become biased and you just get closed into that world and ignorant and limited and, and you just yeah. can't do that you gotta you gotta spice it up you gotta yeah. understand what other people are doing yeah um yes. especially you know in the speaker world uh, uh you know it's very very important to to listen to all the newer you know all, all different types of speakers and and new speakers that come out you're going to want to hear those and understand what people are doing in the um in the the latest cutting edge stuff and and it, i think just a part of making a really great product is also knowing what everybody else is doing and he's not that chef is not going to mcdonald's He's yeah. going to a, a well, he's going place to another, he respects. Yeah, a place that he respects, exactly. You know? and, yeah. and so that's what it is with audio so, research. With I you. don't have Crown amplifiers. No, you have <laughs> Although I do, I do respect Crown for reliability and durability and being able to Crown is to not just trying crank to power, but, impress but, us audiophiles. No. But Crown is, is a whole thing. Yeah, man. But but yeah. you know I yeah I have yeah I have respect for for other audio companies and um and I want to stay attuned to that and I also have favorite I still I have favorite models from from other electronic companies that if I come across them I'm gonna buy them and and keep them I'm, I'm kind of at that I have know, running uh, what instructions that I let you know when we get Lamb monoblocks as well yeah those are which those are like less practical i'm kind of worried about that one i see see i'm probably not gonna like be so eager to like like mess you up with like (laughs) hey check these out with lambs only because it's it's like the uh, for example for one thing they're pricier it's a lot bigger in investment than a, a nice vintage nice shape vintage Saudi research but but anyway it just uh, the stars lined up the other day where I was like mm, oh yeah. I know where this is gonna go this is gonna oh end yeah, up yeah right. Darren's house yeah and, so you uh, know you you guys are gonna hear uh, about me talk about other audio gear and it's because I I try to keep a open palette um I try to keep my ears fresh with different stuff um. Uh, it, it's not necessarily saying that I think it's you know better than than what I make or something like that. It's just to try to keep a very diverse palette and and um, keep my mind open to to what I've respected in the past. And the the VT100 is is something that uh, made such an impression on me that uh, that it's something I want to keep in my memory. And and that yeah. means own own that amplifier. 
listen to and enjoy that amplifier and then and then i'm a i'm i'm fresh to that i'm i'm uh my my brain is energized with that energy and when i go in and and voice a product that i'm i'm uh you know, embellishing those traits. You know, it sounded, uh, your stories about that old, that amp that you still own, uh, remind me of my dad's stories. My dad's a, a musician. He's a maestro. He's a conductor and composer and, um, and choral director and, and professor. Um, he's in charge of the fine arts department of a university and, uh, founded that department actually. And, um, and his one of his greatest regrets is letting go of uh, musical instruments over the years when he needed some money. And uh, you know, way back in the day, you know, he talks about this Rickenbacker bass that he used to have, and a few other, mm-hmm. you know, guitars. And man, one day I think I if if I can if I can find it, I'd love to just just light him up by like finding one of these vintage instruments. Cause it's, it's such a thing. It's a homecoming when you, when you see that, that piece that's been kind of in the back of your mind for a long time. Um, so I'm, I'm super happy for you, man. So, uh, one, one of the, um, going on to, uh, a large company, one of the, right. one of the big advantages that sticks out to me about a large company um, is research and development right um, the ability to to have a lot of resources into a technology that is an advancement in technology uh, something that may cost a lot of money to develop and design it, but once you have that design manufacturing it isn 't necessarily more expensive. Um, it's just an advanced yeah. technology. Um, maybe it's a material. Maybe it's a way of Which manufacturing then, that material. And maybe then you recoup some of your costs by licensing that out. If well, it's, you, if you, it's really good stuff. Yeah, and, and a lot of times in audio, you, you do that. Does that's something that makes a lot of R and D feasible. But it's also that you're going to build the R and D into your price, and so you know, your markups become a little bit larger, but, but it, in the end, as far as the user experience goes, it makes sense because the product may not take as much money to, or require as much resources to build, but to design it took a lot. Does that make sense? So some advanced material that doesn't cost that much, for instance, might have to get marked up a little bit more, but the, to come up with the technology to to uh, develop that material might have taken a lot of money. So, so well, let's the, talk the, about the company has to <clears throat> has to recoup some of that money, and so you're paying a little bit more into R and D. And um, you know, I, I think that in a, a, a one area where you're seeing this a lot right now is um, uh, speaker technology. And yeah, and, I wanted and to where talk it's, about it's, one uh, of these. You know, a single you know, a single person right now can't, or or a company that is comprised of like, you know, the deckware-sized um, uh, company can't possibly pull off what a company like Kef is doing in, in speaker technology. Mm. You know, like it's, mm. it doesn't make sense. Like the models the Uni-Q don't the, possibly yeah. make sense. And yeah. it's not what deckware is trying to do. Right. Um, and, and Kef isn't trying to do what deckware is doing. But 
the advancements that they're making. They're, they are, they are making, you know, patents in speaker technology, like the current, you know, like the most recent meta technology that has been rolled in meta material. Um, and so, and so, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, one of the advantages of a large company is the, is the R and D that goes into it. You sent me a review recently by Stephen Stone, who, by the way, Stephen Stone lives a stone's throw away from here. Um, he lives in Boulder. You know, that's so funny is that I've met Stephen at, at shows, but uh, having lived in Boulder for the last 10 years, you know, I never really came bumped into him at a coffee shop or anything like that. But it's funny that, that you know, just around the corner could live a, a famous audio reviewer, you know, national audio reviewer or whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> Steven's cool. He, uh, I've had some interactions with him in the past and, and he's a super nice guy, but you sent me this review of his recently for the absolute sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they put it on their website, January 19th, 2021. And, uh, it's for this set of Sony near field, this speaker system, this S a dash Z one near field yeah. listening system. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you sent this to me as just like geek fodder, like mm-hmm. check out this thing. It is just geekdom a hundred percent. Yep. And yeah, it's, it's everything that you're, we're talking about that a large company like Sony, a huge company yep. that whose most of its money is far from audio, you know, or yep. It's in video projectors, real estate in Japan. It's in, it's in all kinds of products that that have nothing to do with audio. Yeah. So, and the point that Steven makes is when they decide to do to actually sink this R and D money into something cool in audio. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> hopefully, they envision a market for it, <clears throat> and really because they can at any point make really incredible things, it is de- dependent on having a market. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's a perfect extreme example of Look when you're a large company, what you can pour into a product. It's um, crazy. Just just read that. Go to Absolute Sound. All listeners oh, out just there, check out check them out. Dash Z one near field. Look look system. at the just look <clears throat> at it. You know, it's it's it's. Well, you look at it. it <laughs> that's an inside joke. Um, <laughs> uh, you know the the. I mean, it's a crazy looking speaker. Um, you, you know some. Yeah, even some large high-end audio company couldn't put something like that out. You know, so that's an even a more extreme example. Sony will put out stuff that is so experimental that if it fails, it's not taking Sony down. Doesn't yeah, it doesn't but matter. But if if some, you know, high-end company like Kaffer, Bowers and Wilkins were to put out something so experimental and yeah. pour so much money into it and then it fail, that could really you know, it would hurt the company. Really hurt the company. Really hurt the company. Right. But for Sony, it's 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 not something that could ever be a big part of their income, anyways. Right. You know, they have right. these huge areas, TVs, low lower ends, um, home theater uh, uh, arena that just you know they do really well in. They make a lot of money. They're well established. When they want to go to the high end audio section or video section they can play a little bit so this competes with this saz1 competes with the like the for example just off the top of my head key audio speakers uh key audio three 
uh, we had a pair actually come through the music room last week mm. and um, and spent some time with the Key Audio 3. Are you familiar? K-I-I-M. And uh, Jacob Collier uses these as, as his monitor speakers, but they're pro audio speakers that are very similar to, to the Sony SAZ ones in that they've got m- multiple drivers. They've got multiple amps inside. So, so each driver has its own amp. They've mm-hmm. got DSP. And what they're doing is trying to, through all these drivers, control directivity to deal with you know, yep. un- in unpredictable rooms. Yep. And uh, the idea that, you know, you, you, if you have the speaker system over to near, near a wall, you can actually have, uh, you know, boundary influences that can be mitigated v- by lowering the output to this driver over here and routing changing it to this the, driver. Changing the, the radiation pattern. Of changing the, the radiation yeah. pattern based on, you know, having multiple drivers and dealing with phase, phase angles and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's, it's the future. It's, it's, you know, press a button, the speakers do their own test, listen to their own results and adjust themselves. Oh, buddy, you just opened up a can of worms there with that statement. I guess. Yeah. The future? The future. I'm, I'm not sure. Right, right. Does yeah. this get caught on? Is, I'm is not everybody sure about in that. on this? Yeah. Well, Jacob Collier is in on this because his previous experience is you get pro audio monitors, you yeah. set them up as well as you can, and they are what they are. But but to him, the idea that 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 you can go a little further and and as as rudimentary, maybe in the future we will look at this technology from Sony SAZ one or the Key Audio three as rudimentary, uh, you know, implementations of this. But at this point, it it it's it's beyond where. Uh, the results that that Jacob Collier or any any musician who's focused on other stuff doesn't want to get it down the rabbit holes of audiophilia. It's yeah, to, there so you he go. Does this this yeah. himself? But it's it's so much better than what he can get by his his the by by his his method of access to this this business that that it really solves a problem for him. Yeah, and, and that it gets some really flat response. You know, my my coworker uh, Kyle is a pro audio guy. He's worked at pro audio companies. He's actually played trumpet in symphonies and stuff. And he's got a master's in trumpet. And he's he's very pro audio focused. And he, you know, he remarked that these are the best small speakers that he's ever heard in his entire life. Um, you know, he was just wowed by these key audio threes. And they do very much the same thing as these SAZ ones from from Sony. Um, the SAZ one actually looks like a much smaller package, which is interesting. And I bet the key audio produces better bass, but they do the same thing. Um, it's just an intelligent way to take some of these adjustment things that that you and I as audiophiles hem and haw over out of the minds of people who want to just focus on making music and get a yeah. better result. In front of yeah, them. and so I think the way that I've refined it down to now is that the keys and like dutch and dutch and the active um dsp speaker world isn't necessarily um you know like the future it's it's a new subset of speakers that has has started that has started and will continue to grow yeah as an option that is there yeah but 
I do not think that, you know, audiophiles like, like us who are like tweak heads are ever going to be happy with some speaker that just has everything built into it in one setting and you know you push this button and then you listen to music that's like that's not us you know because but it is a whole there's a whole new audience there for that because it's what we're focused on it's 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 the thing we want many many colors in the palette for this is the reason that you have two audio research champs it's it's like we are focused on so so if if i can get with the press of a button you know, pretty good bass or something or, or a pretty good sound stage. I'll never want that because I'm so keyed into how you get there that I'll want different flavors. You know, Mm. I've been meaning to make these bass towers for myself that have a, a top firing mid woofer that, that get pretty good bass out of it, get some good mid range, maybe like do a transmission line and then pair that with either either some omni radiation or something but i want to make this i want to do it and then i want to have that and then i want to have my rel subs and the sc3s and that presentation then i want to have my full range drivers and the ripole and that presentation because what i'm enjoying as an audiophile is 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 how you go about this these guys that that really love the key audio and and would really respond well to the Sony new Sony's near field listening system, they're focused on making music. They're focused on, you know, yeah, minor harm uh, negative harmonies and multitonal. I'm just talking about Jacob Colley here, but yeah, but the uh, you know the microtonal like you know chord changes and and his whole everything else that's got his focus. It's not this. So so this. It's it's also like the person that doesn't really want to dive in the deep end. That's it. It's, yeah, where, it, it, where is your deep you end? Know, His deep end is in music. It's elsewhere. Yeah. It's not in the monitoring. Yeah, so. and it, it also could be someone who is your you know you're a surgeon. You don't have much time mm. on your hands. You do like music and you want a great system, but you also don't want to deal with with all the subtleties of getting a system right. Well, these active systems are all set up to integrate into many different environments and the electronics are all in, all included and everything is there. It's clean. There's not not many cables around the speaker. Like I said, I think it's a new subset of speakers. I think that what we're going to see is larger uh, companies um, in the audiophile world start offering those options as well, like start offering models that are fully active that use advanced methods of DSB correction and this kind of thing. But I don't think, I don't see them eliminating passive speakers anytime soon just due to the fact that, you know, this is also a hobby that people like to modify their systems. And the pursuit of the system is an interesting and sometimes the most rewarding part of owning really expensive gear it's also still not cheap the key audios are not cheap this these sac ones are not going to be cheap because yeah you know there's a lot of r&d that went into it mm-hmm. now now you try to imagine a small brand doing something like this and you, you you can't imagine one guy doing this it would take him it would take him so many years yeah and in that time technology would pass him by i mean it's a type of thing where where it's only a large company that can crank out a product like this yeah 
So and then the the other cool. problem with it is that it's um, it's like kind of making a statement that there is some correct uh, way of reproducing the audio. Sure, I like I like that you um, brought that up. And right. so like it's it's kind of saying that hey, like we solved the problems. Yeah, we've decided the algorithm that's best for determining what makes a good soundstage. And it's like uh, okay, um, okay, you know that's like kind of saying that yeah, it's it's like this. Um, the, the the reason why we have multiple systems because you can't get one that hits at all. It's going right. to have some character right. to it. That that built-in speaker still has amplifiers, amplifiers that you can't change now. Yeah. Um. Maybe you like tube amplification. Yeah. What are you going to do now? Good luck. Because you're you're, you're you're gone. What you're, you're getting gonna... is class D. Yeah. Individual channel. Yeah. 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 It's so, so it's package. a thing. Like, can it sound awesome? Absolutely. Can it be the right move for you? Yes. Um, is it really what you know us tweaky audiophiles are into? Not really. No, that's just my opinion. Yeah, but it's yeah. It, for a boxing term. It's never going to be the undisputed champion. It's there's there's disputes yeah. going on because there's certain things that it t- does that are going to be done better. Right. With different with different. It's results. also early days in it as well. So in ten years. These t- this uh, family of of new speakers is going to be yeah. m- uh, much more evolved, and yeah. I'm yeah. looking uh, forward to when people start messing around. I think with linear amplifiers inside of these, and let's That's let's actually but, you know like cast a nod to the 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 stuff that went before this meridian has been doing this stuff oh that's for true years and years and years and years that's and years. a really great point yeah. i mean in the 90s they were in doing the it. 90s yeah and and if you get old meridian gear and you look at the manual it's an inch thick and and you start your head starts spinning when you start thinking about how in depth the r&d is into this product and and how tweaky the the programming is and man people used to be paid good money just to set up meridian systems that's that's really true um, yeah. so so you know sony's just kind of taking it a step further people have been laying this groundwork for for years so um i don't know it's cool but it's just it, it all def- definitely folds perfectly into this discussion of the large large company versus small company yep well um all right i think we've I think we've uh, beaten this topic enough for today. I I need to. We're gonna hang out at the in-laws here in, in a little bit, so I need to get this show on the road. But thanks for listening, everybody. Um, and uh, and yeah, if you have any thoughts about this, this, you know, ultimately, I've been thinking about um, kicking around the idea of starting a forum. I don't know if that's gonna start anytime soon um, because it's a lot of work. But it's the type of thing where what we appreciate, what I appreciate about our interaction with uh, you listeners via email is that uh, we can we can kind of hear how we're doing. But we also, like I mentioned before, get introduced to all kinds of interesting topics. We really appreciate it, uh, Vern Vochaska today for, for kind of uh, supplying us with this great topic. Um, but if anybody, again, has any ideas for... Um, for for something we should talk about or, or a burning question in your audio file world or a, a tip something that you found works for you and you want to share it um or even an album recommendation we're all ears and we'd love to to share it with the group so yeah one one point i want to make before we uh uh conclude this uh, episode is um that with a large company another another big uh 
advantage is that you is that is purchasing power and so building mm. you know being able to to buy uh you know your components in tens of thousands versus just uh maybe a hundred uh, at a time you get price cuts on that one component and so um, it turns out that every product is is a lot cheaper for the company to produce, and and that is ultimately rolled into the retail value of the of the component in many yeah. cases. And it's so, not just components too; it can be like like chassis fabrication, like the the machines that are required yeah. for the type of thing you want to do. Yeah, but then again, just in numbers, if you're buying a hundred of those chassis versus buying. Yeah. Ten thousand of them. It's yeah. it's it's a much different price. Oh yeah. Um. Any any person familiar with machine shops will will tell you that. Um. And so, you know, I think uh, comparing, uh, you know, a very small company in audio to medium to large size companies, you're getting a little bit more bang for your buck as you as you go up and as you go down. Sometimes the company is the one that takes the hit. Maybe they have less of a markup. Um, and then in other cases, you're just not getting as much bang for your buck and they're a little bit more expensive. And you see that in all industries, that's yeah. how it, it, yeah. it, it, how it scales. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that this is just, a this overall topic, everything is kind of complementary. like the, some of the advantages of the small company, is obviously the disadvantage of the large one. The large one, you have many people sitting at the table. Sometimes the product gets pulled in different direction, and it's just not as as clear and focused as as that um, as that Dunlavy speaker that is. You know, the, its strengths are um, are magnified, and it's it's uh, and it's they're okay with living with some of the disadvantages of the design. Um, where at a big company, you know, you're you're probably going to get a product that is that has um, that it is more evenly dispersed in its advantages and disadvantages. And if you're someone who just, you know, uh, you know, you treasure sound staging and you treasure coherency, maybe that one really large company decided to kind of spread out. Uh, the the performance characteristics of that loudspeaker instead of just focusing on the ones that that um, resonate with you you bring more people into the mix and, and widen the scope of the customer base yeah and so. i i think that's kind of like the design dynamic between the really small company and the big company is that yeah big companies try to hit more more areas you know with yeah, their like, products but but with a small company if 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 you're someone again that likes sound staging likes coherency and a small speaker company is nailing those areas for you, then you're gonna be able to buy a product that's really going to to uh, to you know scratch your, the the right spots. Yeah, it makes me think of like say I was had my own speaker company and I was a small, very small company, and I used OEM boxes that were designed and made by some other third party company, and they're very straightforward and they have problems. They have big, you know uh pa- panels that that you know introduce this vibration so my solution is okay well i'm gonna 
use damping material here and here. I'm going to use this kind of like constrained layer bitumen kind of damping stuff like Dynamat, you know, here and here. Whereas a company like like uh, B&W will say, well, how about instead of that, we're going to do the matrix bracing type of thing, yeah, right? Exactly. The, whole, the whole matrix thing was just like this really complex bracing mm-hmm. that 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 allows sound waves to act like they normally do inside the cabinet and so you don't create any new problems but then you fix so many problems but it's very labor intensive it's very uh r&d tool intensive yeah r&d r&d in making that something that they can actually manufacture and you see that in their enclosures today how they do the wraps um that that machine that actually does that um, the lamination and the curvature on on the 800 series um, is not something that would be feasible in selling hundreds of loudspeakers. No, 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 no. no. So, so you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting the difference you get in in you know going with each of these things. Yep. Yeah, but that's what makes the audio file journey fun. It, it, oh, these, of course. These small these small companies make it fun. I'd say. Oh, absolutely. Um, because because you get to take a leap for the the payoff of of something that you actually value a lot more um being delivered to you in a more concentrated version. You know? That that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um thanks for listening to this and uh I I'd say it's just about time. Yep. To move into our album of the week re- recommendation. All right, this week uh, you let me pick the album of the week, and I did. And it is it's a band that is one of my favorites perennially. Uh, just anytime I'm listening to music, I just gravitate toward you know if it's I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's like a a Linus Styles security blanket that I have uh, audio wise or music wise, but it's like, they're just, there's my standbys that I come back to when I want, when I want to feel good, like quasi electronic, quasi jazz music, kind of just modern music. Um, I so appreciate this duo and what they're doing and what they've been doing. And, and then being a fan for many years, of this group called Tennyson, which is a duo out of Canada. Um, I, I've noticed other musicians copying their styles. I've noticed them continuing to evolve to the point where when I hear someone copy Tennyson's style or emulate it or, or pay homage to it, by that point, Tennyson is somewhere else. They're onto a new thing. Like they're, they're, you know, their their sound of their modern albums is different than the album that I, I want to share with uh, with our listening base, which came out in 2015. So um, the album is called Like What? Two words. Like, the second word, what? And the artist is one word, Tennyson, as in, you know, Alfred Tennyson or whatever. Um, the, the, the beauty of this music is is many, many different, uh, has many different elements to it, but let me try to encapsulate what I love about Tennyson. Tennyson is, um, at least half synthetic music. And then one of the, one of the guiding principles in their music over the years has been really 
excellent field recordings, 3D field recordings to the point where there's a holographic image, there's stereo separation, that kind of thing. They'll have these samples. A sample is a is a quick snippet of a recording kind of injected into a a synthetic music piece. And um, you know, for example, listening to samples in like in Tennyson music is is like someone slurping out of a, a cola drink through a straw at the end of the drink's gone there's just ice in the thing that's that's one of their samples a baby sneezing that's a sample uh you know the the turn signal in a car that's a sample um water flowing uh in a, in a creek nearby that's a sample and and they'll kind of like work these things into their music in these moments that that brings attention to it but also serves the music and uh and then and then on the on the music side the synthetic stuff that they're doing very complex keyboard uh orchestra uh you know compositions you have these jazz breakdowns where they go into bebop and they're doing these these programmed because they're staggering uh these these um arpeggios and scales and stuff like that um Anyway, I just find this, the creativity level with Tennyson's music is through the roof. They they collaborate with this this guy, I don't know his name, but he, he sings on, I think, two of these tracks. Uh, he's got a great voice. Um, and But anyway, the, the album Like What uh, starts with a track that, that has all of this sample-rich kind of stuff. There's somebody climbing upstairs, opening doors, and each time they open the door, the music continues, but it's in a different characteristic. Um, I don't know. It's just... it's just what, Okay, so that's my take on Tennyson. You you were happy that I chose this because you, you mm-hmm. also love yourself some Tennyson. So tell me... How do you feel? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think whenever you're, um, whenever you're trying to create something, um, and you are, and the the format or the platform that you're creating something upon, it's it's always a, um, a, an accomplishment when you transcend that that platform that you're working on. So for instance, an example of this is, is like being an electronic artist and playing with organicy, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and uh, sure. in, in the audiophile world, we, we treasure, you know, like a turntable that has digital like characteristics or something, you know, you're always uh, trying yeah, to transcend sure. the, yeah. what, what, what it you physically is in the platform it mm-hmm. is. And, um, and I think Tennyson, touches that correct organicity of music musical flow using samples and like incorporating all that is it's very difficult to to create something that has organic flow and i think um there there are a lot of artists that do accomplish that and tennyson is one that sticks out to me that that does that really well yep yeah and so the production is is just extremely good through the roof yeah you know, this one is not um, the most audiophile album, and we'll, we'll always kind of categorize these albums like this. How audiophile is this? Is this really? No, this one is is a little bit more for the music, um, but but a lot for the production. You, you know, on a great system, y'all are going to enjoy this a lot. 
Um, but but you, you you need to know about Tennyson, and that's why I chose Like What um, for this week's album recommendation because uh, people need to know about Tennyson. They're they're just wonderful, wonderful group. Um, duo yeah, and then on the, on the audiophile side of stuff, you know, electronic music really uh, gives you the option or the, the, the ability to hear your system without the compromises of acoustic recording. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're dealing with a lot of, a lot of stuff being a lot of synthetic music. It doesn't have phase problems. It doesn't have combing when it was recorded. It doesn't have all these, all all these issues. It's, it's directly onto the recording itself. Yeah, and when you hear that through a hi-fi system of really, you know, really well-produced electronic music, it's it's unbelievable because you're 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 cutting out a part of that really flawed, you know, um, section that or that area that can possibly introduce so much distortion, which is the 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 act of acoustic recording. Well, it's what we talked about and, last week is is recording and. Yep. And so, you know, I mean, for those that aren't that open to electronic music, I have to say, like, you know, just, you know, give give some stuff a shot like this, um, like this album. And it's, you know, it really is, um, you know, there's a lot of, of, of uh, musical content in it that, that I think a lot of people can appreciate. One thing you pointed out to me about synthetic music is is that it, besides all of the other variables, like microphones, Microphone placement, musicians, the the psychological state of the musicians, the 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 whoever's producing, what the overarching. There's so many things, and then there's the analog to digital conversion that is so little talked about. You know, in, in digital to analog conversion, we have lots of opinions. Yeah, you know, your company makes an FPGA DAC. There's the R2R DACs. There's all kinds of different approaches to digital analog conversion what about ad's well there's a couple there's chips and that's all you get and there's nobody doing an fpga analog to digital converter right and so with synthetic music you're just cutting all of that all that out and and you get this just really cool connection to your to your sound through through your uh well set up uh audiophile system it's so so true it's a good point Yep. Anyway, uh, like always, we're going to feature this on the front page of our website. We're also going to feature it in future weeks. Uh, it'll live in perpetuity on the albums page. You go to hi-fi dot, or the hi-fi-podcast.net. You can go to click on albums, and you see all the ones that we've recommended before. But um, yeah, the group's called Tennyson. The album is called Like What? And you will see uh, that there, and you can click on it to find a link to it and uh, either stream it or download it or buy the vinyl. Uh, actually, they have a they have a Bandcamp page, and we love Bandcamp because oh, yeah, it yeah, gives yeah. a lot back to artists. So. Yeah, so I mean, if they do offer that with this album, you so could, I'm going to link to the you Bandcamp could buy on yeah our website, you could yeah. buy the, the vinyl. Now you get the download uh, the ability to download FLAC or uh, AIFF. Yeah, and so just you, by you have the vinyl, right? Yeah, so now you own the digital. Now you own in the best way possible, and you own the vinyl, and you support the artist. Yep. I mean, you win, 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 win. We love we love Bandcamp, and uh, for many reasons, but that's one of the one of the greatest ones. So, check this album out um, again. Thanks for listening. Um, we're gonna have this on our website. Please go uh, send us an email if you've got any burning questions and want to be a part of the podcast. But 
Uh, otherwise, I think that has become a, another episode of the Hi Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I am Duncan. I'm Darren. And we will catch you next time. Bye. The Hi Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor and is copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors.